This is the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. I'm at the HSC School Administration Building, and I'm here with Dr. Alan Borf, Superintendent of Schools here at the Hamilton Southeastern School Corporation. Uh, first thing I'd like to say, Dr. Borf, as, as someone who is a nine-year retiree myself, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, when will this be effective? This will be effective uh, July 1st. Okay, so I guess the question I would ask, uh, this has been rumored throughout the uh, community for some time, but I never asked you about it. I figured you would make the announcement on your own uh, schedule and time. So why make the announcement now? We had intended to make this announcement in January uh, so that the search process could begin. But we've hired a firm to work with the board to uh, select the new superintendent. And the request was made that I move my announcement up so that they could begin work in December on focus groups that would come together and talk about the qualities that they would like to see in a new superintendent. And I thought that was a very reasonable request. Um, it altered my timeline a bit, but not substantially. And so here we are uh, a month early making the announcement. And by the way, just so people know, this is the first in-person interview I have done as a podcast since I interviewed the mayor. I think it was either late March or early April. We've done all of them on Zoom. I've done a couple with you on, on Zoom and telephone because we were trying to stay. And we are well past six feet apart. I have my mask. You've taken yours off uh, so you can be heard, uh, heard clearly. But uh, I think we're taking all of the uh, precautions that need to be taken. You know, I thought back to some of the greatest challenges you face. You've had budget issues. You've uh, run an operating referendum. You have a... a big public debate on the non-discrimination policy. But as an outside observer, just looking from the outside in myself, I don't really think anything could touch the challenge of trying to run the fourth largest school system in the state during a pandemic. Uh, did I get that right? I think that's an understatement. This, this has been the most tumultuous uh, period of time in my career. And I've, in fact, in the message I have sent to the staff, I've said that it's... Uh, uh, what I hope to be the most tumultuous period in theirs, too. I hope no educator sees another period quite like this. I hope the world doesn't see another period quite like this. But, um, yes, this has forced us to make some decisions that um, have been very difficult because no matter what decision you make, you are going to offend uh, or have opposition. And you change that decision, and those people who had supported you become your opponents on a dime, uh, turning on a dime. So, uh, yes, it's been very difficult. And, and I've uh, written about the divisions within the community, and you are right at the center of that. I want to talk more about the pandemic later. But before I do that, um, list the other challenges you've had in your roughly five years as a superintendent here. Well, we have had, uh, we've had student issues, uh, especially around the issue of diversity and equity. We have, we have dealt with those. We've created an equity, um, a, a central equity personnel and committee structure that goes into all of our schools. And we have come a long distance on that. At least we're having the conversations now, some of the conversations that might not have been happening uh, before this. And we are very interested in students um, being in a safe place 
not just physically, but also intellectually and emotionally. And so we're still learning, but we're putting structures in place now that will promote that. That's one piece. The The growth of the school corporation is another, and just just meeting that growth with the right balance of facility improvement and, and addition. Uh, it was my thought as I came into this district that we should uh, eliminate the use of portable classrooms as much as possible. Portable classrooms are wonderful for short-term issues um, of, of expansion and growth. But in the long term, you don't want to use portable classrooms in that manner, hence the construction of Southeastern Elementary. Southeastern Elementary was full the day we opened it. And so we're, under, we're, we're just beginning the construction process of yet another elementary to take the place of Durban. So that has been, that's been a challenge. Uh, financially, for the first couple years, um, before we won the referendum, before the legislature had changed some of its funding structures, we were dealing with some very, very tight budgets. And, uh, but in the learning process, in the listening process, as I came on, I determined that there were some, uh, some themes that I was hearing, and one of them was mental health. And it was in concert with some of the uh, workings of the city at that point, trying to lift the mental health topic off of uh, the taboo list. And um, so we now have mental health specialist therapists in all of our buildings, we have SROs, school resource officers, in well, not in all of our buildings, but they check in with all of our buildings, many more than we had before that referendum. We have assistant principals at the elementary. I mean, we've dealt with a number of issues. We have had certain, uh, the, the, the Mr. Royal issue um, uh, came up early on. Uh, we've also had certain school and student issues come up from time to time that I'm not willing to talk about here for obvious reasons, but uh, we've, we've dealt with many issues, but none has been quite as uh, difficult to get a handle on as a curriculum and instruction. HSC 21, you've heard so much about that, and what I came to realize when I, when I started in this district was that HSC 21 was viewed as the technology plan. It truly was not a technology plan. It was it was an instructional delivery plan or an instructional process plan, and um, we have worked since then to refine and define um, that whole process. We've now moved into portrait of a graduate, which shows what we want to see our students become, and HSC 21 as the delivery model for that for that portrait of a graduate. So I'm hoping when I leave. Uh, there's a better understanding of HSC 21. And you've made that clear to me every time I brought that up, by the way. So you've been very clear that it was not a technology plan, and that was, I think, the uh, public view of it uh, until you tried to, to change that. That's the center of gravity on that. How You may have already touched on some of these, but uh, think of some others if you can. What are some of your major accomplishments during your roughly five years here? Well, the, the accomplishments, I think, would have to do with um, we've expanded our staff. We expanded our staff to lower our class, class sizes. I, I can recall uh, the job fair that we had 
And in that job fair, we attracted over 800 people one night after school to come and put their applications in and talk to us about jobs. We, ho- we had about 130 openings. So uh, it was evident that HSE is a destination place for many, many teachers. And we're thrilled with that. But uh, we are constantly growing. We've, we've outpaced some of the projections until this year. We had a, we've had a blip this year, what I hope is a blip. It could be a trend. I'm not sure. But we had a, uh, an actual decrease in students, kind of mirrored what's happening across the state right now with, with the pandemic. We know that we have some students, 300-some uh, students at the kindergarten level who will be with us in first grade next year. Their parents have told us this. But so we've had an expansion of, of enrollment. We also, uh, when we talk about accomplishments, we have to talk about uh, the fact that we have rebranded in the time that I've been here. And we've not only done that, but we have also enhanced our, uh, our website to make it more user-friendly. Don't know if we've accomplished, accomplished that totally, but we've, uh, we're continuing to work on that. We have expanded our curriculum. And one of the things I'm proudest of is the work with the city to expand our curriculum so that the community is viewed as part of the classroom setting for our, for our students. We have Nature First, which was, which was created uh, for first graders, and we have uh, the Connor Prairie Teacher in Residence program for the fourth graders. We're working on a program with the city right now in combination with Hub and Spoke to provide a, a glimpse of the trades for uh, some of the higher higher grades, not high school, but fifth through eighth grade, perhaps. And I'm still not giving up on that Purdue Polytechnic program that we were just poised and ready to implement uh, before this pandemic started and the question of financial wherewithal. So those are some of the issues that I think I'm very proud of. I know how it was. people were almost in tears the night you were at the board meeting saying you couldn't go through with Purdue Polytechnic because I know how much work you and your staff put into that. The school board had bought into it. And uh, when you explain why it couldn't go forward now, so you're, you're optimistic that that long-term, that will still happen. One last one, I won't say last question, but one question dealing with your retirement. Uh, do you and your wife plan to remain here in Fishers? We do. We have um, two sons here. Um, they moved to this area after I accepted this position. Uh, I had a son who lived in Indianapolis, and I told him I couldn't have grandchildren going to school outside HSE. And uh, so he has two daughters. They're both enrolled in our, in our system. And I have another son who uh, came from up north. Uh, they have relocated here, two more grandchildren, and we're expecting one more any day. So uh, five grandchildren in the HSE schools. And that was probably uh, what tipped my hand in the construction of my last contract with the board. I asked them if they would uh, mind if I inserted a clause into my contract that would enable me to present a diploma. Uh, should I be around and should my grandchildren be around at the time of their graduation? And the, the board was very happy to do that. That in itself, I think, told many in the community what was on my mind. Well, that, that, yeah, I, I kind of got a glimpse <laughs> at that point that something may be in the works. Uh, I want to give you a chance to talk about this because, as I mentioned, you mentioned earlier, the, the community has been very divided on the whole issue of how 
the city and the school district have reacted to the pandemic. Uh, so you have recently gone to all grades, all virtual, just really a matter of days ago, at least through December 4th, and the school board will be meeting very shortly after this interview to decide where to go from there. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to explain why that decision was made. Sure. The the decision had actually more to do with staffing than it did with the virus. We had a number, almost 50 classrooms, um, that would be without a substitute teacher. Our substitute teachers are not... Uh, the, the sub-pool is not as deep as it once was because many of them are holding off getting back into the classrooms for fear of exposure. Many of our subs are in that high-risk category. Many of them are retired people. And so we had that issue. We also have issues of staffing with our food services and our um, transportation departments. And so that's what drove us to make that decision. We had no, we, we had no plan to do anything more than a 50-50 at the elementary if we had to do that, but it simply was not working in that in that way. Our staffing, we we had thought when we went virtual grades um, seven through or what was it? Yeah, seven through twelve, mm-hmm. that we would be able to divert those substitute teachers to the elementary level. Well, that was perhaps true with a few of them, but many of them simply didn't want to work at that level. With, they didn't feel competent at the elementary level, which is understandable, reasonable. Um, so that move did not help us that much. Now, time will tell whether the spread continues to affect our, our numbers. We'll be watching very closely tomorrow and, and Tuesday, actually the rest of this week, to, uh, to see if there is a continued um, increase in the number of positives that will infect our, uh, affect our staff. And I should note that we are recording this on Monday, November 30th, in case uh, people, many people listen to these podcasts later on. I understand uh, you and your staff are in constant contact with the Fishers Health Department. Uh, the COVID-19 infection numbers are really not looking good. Uh, hospitals are facing a large patient load, especially in the intensive care units. I know you said the pandemic itself isn't causing this, but certainly it is the main reason for the, the, the lack of substitute teachers, and you explained that very well, I think. But to what extent does this data that you see uh, from the city, from the city health department, impact your decision-making on virtual versus in-person classes? Mm-hmm. When we look at the, at the numbers, we're, we're looking at positive cases coming from close contacts at school. And we're, we're, we've seen that those numbers are, are low. Uh, the last one I looked at was 4%, 4 point something percent, but that was higher than the week before. We don't know if there is a trend towards that. Time will tell on that as well, but, and we are watching trends. Um, so the, the Fisher's Health Department has been forthcoming with all the information they can provide us. Um, 
uh, Monica Heltz has been in our building to meet with us many, many times, many times. And she is working with our head, head nurse. She's working with our uh, human resources people. So I can't complain about that, uh, that spirit of cooperation that we have. But when you look at that zone red or that phase where it's red, we are permitted or we, I shouldn't say permitted, but the guidance says in those mitigation strategies that it's, it's okay to have um, a hybrid model perhaps or even in person 100% at the elementary, but all adults are still recommended to stay at home. All of our adults, I mean, all of our teachers are adults, and many of our teachers feel very threatened, uh, hesitant to come into the buildings for fear of exposure. It may be irrational. It may not be fact-driven. But many of the features of this virus are still evolving, and we are learning that uh, maybe we did have reason to be concerned about young people getting the virus. Um, At one point, it was considered uh, uh, something almost negligible in terms of threat for young people. And uh, now we're seeing, now we're seeing some evidence that perhaps we didn't know as much as we thought we did about it and that young people should be protected from it. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, and I try to read as much as I can for the experts the people who are public health experts, epidemiologists, and so forth. And they'll be the first to tell you that uh, we're, that the medical community is learning something every day that's new about this. But that brings me to the next question, because I, it's got to be, for you as a leader of a school corporation, very difficult to deal with things like that. For, for example, you, you lost a food service worker at an elementary school recently. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, you lost a, a staff member at HSE High School. Uh, I hear stories of many people on the staff throughout your school corporation uh, who have uh, recovered but yet continue to have lingering issues in and out of the hospital, that, that sort of thing. Uh, what, does, what impact does that have on, on your decision-making? Well, it makes every decision that much heavier. Um, every decision we make is made with, uh, the, uh, with, with a balanced discussion uh, on the cost versus the benefits. And what has also made this very difficult, and this was, this was highlighted at one of our board meetings, we had two doctors sitting side by side, and one spoke for one strategy and one spoke for a totally opposite strategy. Even the healthcare, um, even the, the medical employees, the medical professionals are not speaking a unified language in terms of guidance for the schools. We are not health providers, so we're going to probably be on the, uh, on the side of uh, caution and safety, uh, concern for the, for the students. I'm... Uh, I'm very well aware. Um, I, I get hate notes from some of our uh, citizens who uh, just cannot believe that we are not holding school for some of our students, and uh, and some of these are health health and health professionals. And uh, to them, I would say um, 
we regret that they feel the way they do, but we also have to sleep at night knowing we're doing what we can to protect our, our students. On the other hand, we also have many people who are saying to us, uh, continue to hold the line, do what you're doing. We feel good about it. Uh, uh, there's, there's a cost in this pandemic to everybody. And one of those is uh, time away from work. And we're not, we're, not, uh, we're not unaware of that cost. And we're working to try to minimize that as much as we can. But we also have staff who are concerned about their, their well-being, and we're concerned about that as well. You mentioned that really the, the going all virtual, particularly at the elementary level, uh, in five and six uh, with the hybrid, this mostly relates uh, to the fact that you don't have enough substitute teachers. You've had uh, principals, assistant principals, counselors, administrative staff at the central office trying to fill these classrooms, and you still can't, can't get it done. Have you had any institutions or organizations throughout the city that have stepped forward to say, I think we can help with that? Or is there anything on the horizon there? We are aware that a group in Carmel came forward to help that school system. It was a group of mothers. And um, when I spoke to the Rotary a couple of weeks ago, one of the Rotarians suggested that maybe there be more uh, communication about the need for substitute teachers. And to that end, we did we did bring we have been bringing in a few more uh, than we would normally bring in at this time of year. So there may be a bright spot on the horizon. Uh, we'll continue to work with that and ask organizations, individuals, to consider uh, coming forward as substitute teachers. And you can't just walk in and be a substitute teacher. You have to go through a background check and an orientation, even if you meet the basic qualifications. What are the basic That's qualifications right. to be a Well, sub? basic qualifications would be uh, education levels. Uh, we, we do require some, some basic education levels. We do require a background check. And there is also an application fee. Now, in the next few days, we're working at... Uh, looking at ways that we might be able to lower the cost of that through this pandemic and or subsidize it, maybe even asking some organizations to assist us on that. To change uh, focus a little bit, I, I mentioned briefly earlier the debate about the non-discrimination policy here at the school system. And it's now been in place for a period of time. Once the board approved the language of that policy, how would you describe its implementation in a practical sense and just how it impacts the uh, everyday work uh, you do with, and, and the other people on your staff do at the school corporation? Well, I would say we're still growing into that. Uh, there was some trepidation among our staff to have conversation that would take, take the classroom, the students, into certain topics uh, around race, around sexual orientation, topics that are out there in the community, topics that are out there in the media. Uh, and that policy enables us to start having some of those conversations and to protect the students who represent some of those um, uh, protected classes. And there are still teachers and other professionals who are just a little hesitant to go there uh, in some of their 
classroom instruction practices. So I would say we're still growing into that in, in some ways. But we're, we're, also, um, we're also seeing some very um, structured conversations in areas that probably didn't take place the, before that policy was, was enacted. And you're right, that was a policy that took years mm-hmm. uh, to bring about, and that would be an accomplishment of the board uh, of the, the entire school system. I've asked you about your biggest challenges and your biggest accomplishments, but there's another question I'd like to ask in that relative realm. What are your basic memories? You know, I know I was uh, in my career as a federal employee. I spent 28 years or six years uh, managing, and I look back, and there are certain memories that stick out in my mind, not necessarily accomplishments or challenges, just the, the memories of something that happened, maybe a way I impacted someone or something someone said to me. And you don't have to use names if you don't want to, but I'm just curious. Are there memories you will take away from this experience of being superintendent here? Yes. One of the, one of the memories I'll take away is the, uh, the, the memory of uh, commencement. Commencement down at, Luke, I think it was Lucas Oil. And uh, I had asked David Day, our attorney, if he could defend me. If, 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 if I ventured out just a bit in some of my comments, uh, and he said, well, what are you thinking of? And I said, well, I'm not going to suggest that I'm going to lead the group in prayer. But what if I said, um, what if I asked the students to consider whose prayers were behind them uh, as they were sitting there and talk about prayer as citizens of, uh, of a democracy, of a country like this. And he said, well, write it up, and I'll see if I feel squeamish. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I did that. Um, and, you know, there was applause. I, I, I was so struck by, my, by my, the reaction of the group to my words, because I'm never really too sure how much anyone's listening to the superintendent at commencement. <laughs> Well, they listened that night. <laughs> they certainly did, and it has caused me to uh, uh, recreate my comments, and I've been asking that question ever since to the groups. So that's been one very uh, pleasant experience. Um, the, other, the other experience that I've had is that we have just a number of—we have many, hundreds and hundreds of wonderful employees here who go about their work— every day without any note, without any, uh, you know, recognition. But as you step into these classrooms and you, t- you listen, you have not only some top-notch individuals uh, teaching our students, but you have some wonderful students here who are capable of thinking and, and uh, putting together ideas that are absolutely awesome. And I think that that was, that was another one. When, I, when we were doing some rebranding, you probably remember the story. I worked with one of the classes, and I mm-hmm. went in and I said, let's think about, let's think about a, a new brand, a new tagline, and what would that look like? And one of the students said, how about incubating awesome? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't sell it to too many people, <laughs> but in my thinking, 
<laughs> incubating has everything to do with nurturing and creating and providing guide rails. And awesome has to do with something beyond anything we can imagine. So huge. I mean, I'm thinking in the biblical sense. Mm-hmm. And uh, incubating awesome. I think that's what we do. That's what our teachers are doing every single day. Um, before I ask, ask the last question here, I just want to thank you for your kind words because I went through COVID. I'm an older guy. I knew I was in a high-risk category, and I had no idea how it was going to end up. I am very fortunate. We still don't know the long-term consequences, but as I sit here today, I feel fully recovered. And, and it wasn't a pleasant experience, but I was able to breathe and never had to go to the hospital, so I still feel very fortunate. So I want to thank you for, and many other people in the community for saying some very kind words at a very important point. But my question to you to end this, uh, this particular podcast, as you prepare for a transition uh, to a new superintendent, is there anything that you would like to say to the HSC school community? And that would include not just the people working for you, but the entire community. Anything you want to say to them as, as on this, this, occasion where you're announcing your intention to retire? Well, I think we have to bear in mind that we have so much to be proud of and to be thankful for. Uh, school systems of this quality uh, don't just happen. They're, they're the work of day in and day out of those professionals I just talked about, those, those teachers. The teachers make up uh, the vast majority of what we have to be thankful for. But this community also needs to pat itself on the back for providing its children an experience that you won't find in too many places. Um, we're hard on ourselves, and we need to be. Uh, people are critical of, of comments and, and ideas and programs that we have, and we need that to stay, to stay sharp. And I thank them for, for their willingness to make comments. Most of the critical comments that I receive are well thought through. Uh, some of them can be, can be kind of caustic or venomous at times, but that's the vast minority, if there's such a term, <laughs> and a combination of terms. Most of our comments that we receive from our adult, uh, from our parents, are all about creating a better place for their kids. And I appreciate that. You know, there was a study done at the University of Chicago several years ago. Um, and uh, Melissa Roderick, I think, was the, was the investigator in that study. And she determined that across, across all socioeconomic groups, across all races, across the nation, parents want something better for their children. Uh, and they're also interested in test results. They're interested in college. And I just, I, I believe that as our demographics shift, they haven't shifted a lot since I've been here, but word is that they probably will. Uh, I think we have to give credit to all the parents who are new parents to HSC and our, and our traditional parents here um, that we also believe that they deserve to want something better for their children, and we do too. Uh, I don't think there's a teacher here, a principal here, an administrator, who is, and school board member who would say we don't want something better for each of our kids. And so I credit this, this community uh, for feeling that way, and I challenge them through the changes, through the growth, 
through the challenges, whether it's a pandemic or, or a funding issue, uh, continue to believe that that's what the goal is, to create a place uh, that students can say, um, in years to come, our parents created a great place for us to go to school. You know, I went to high school in the 1960s. Don't ask me why I remember this, but you just sparked a memory. I, uh, I was writing a theme paper for an English teacher, and I used that term vast minority, and she marked me down for it. So, <laughs> As an English teacher, I'd have probably done the same thing. You notice I self tried to self-correct. <laughs> you did self-correct very quickly. Well, uh, Dr. Alan Borf, uh, today, November 30th and on Monday, you're announcing your retirement, but you're still here for seven more months. So we'll look forward to continuing to cover uh, you and the school corporation and continue our conversation with you. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for coming in.